0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
0: So, Joe, where are you at? Do I pick this up and put it up here, or do you guys want me on the floor, the stand? Oh, oh, that's a stand, okay. it's not how you put it in the pictures. <laughs> Joe stood this thing on its, he stood it like this and, and said, is this how you want it? Uh, so, goofball. So, if we haven't met yet, um, I'm Scott Sauls, you can just call me Russ Ramsey without hair. Um, this is one of the things that we do at Christ Prez is uh, to give each other a break sometimes when it's possible. Um, you know, we'll, we'll preach for each other, and so I've, I've driven over here this morning from our Old Hickory location, uh, and then I'll drive back to do the later service at Old Hickory, uh, but it's, it's such a, such a privilege. I, I love getting to be with y'all. This is, I think, my third, second or third time with you, but Russ also fled town because uh, today we're doing the thing that we always do the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and that's where we talk about year end generosity. So, Russ said, Yeah, I think I'm going to take this Sunday off. Uh, No, it actually had nothing to do with that, but um, I I do uh, want to just let us all know uh, that that, that we, as Christ Pres, Old Hickory, Cool Springs, and Music Row, um, you know. Every Thanksgiving week, we do pause um, first to just say thank you to those who have responded to God's invitation to be generous uh, as, as the natural impulse uh, for you know, the awareness that He's given us of, of how wildly generous He's been to us and so loving us that He gave His only begotten Son, and uh, there's so many uh, in our church family, in our church community that, uh, that are just very generous people, which enables us to do a lot of very wonderful and delightful things in the city. Um, when we talk about giving, we also want to uh, just highlight um, what we call the, the mutual fund metaphor, right? Uh, where giving to a local church that has taken great care to distribute its resources in, in, in ways that uh, are promising to make a difference uh, in the world for the things that concern the heart of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is one of those things that I can, I can promise you um, is done very carefully and very well and very intentionally at Christ Pres. None of the pastors know what anybody gives. We don't look. We don't check the lists. We, we don't. We don't know who gives a lot. We don't know who, give, who gives nothing. We don't know. And we don't want to know, but we do know how it's deployed. And we're delighted in being able to report that we're able, because of the generosity of our people, to give away 40% of the resources that come into our church, which you know, the average is about 10%. We're able, by the goodness of God and the generosity of our members, to, to deploy 40%. Uh, and every dollar that's given, you can sort of consider that an investment in... A mutual fund that's going to appreciate forever, and it's 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 going to be there somehow, some way, uh, in in heaven, awaiting us. You know, Jesus talked about storing up treasures in heaven when he when he talked about money. But what we want to let everybody know is that that the gifts go not only to the work and ministry of Christ Pres Church, but also to things like things that we're strategically invested in, like. Uh, planting new churches locally, domestically throughout the U.S. and globally, uh, advancing the gospel at the university. I mean, we we got a taste of this at RUF Sunday not long ago. Um, integrating faith and work, you know, through our uh, organization, uh, Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Uh, especially leaning in with our friends who have disabilities and special needs. That's a special, you know, gift that God has given to our church to be able to to do that, caring for the poor, helping people to heal from things like addiction, life in prostitution, homelessness, unemployment, uninsured illnesses, uh, hurting marriages, bereavement, and so many other things Jesus cares about. These are just a sampling of the things that um, the generous gifts go to. Uh, ministry, God's, God's set it up where ministry, like everything else, can only happen with resources. And, and, and so, we want to just give a word of encouragement that the resources are going to, to places that, um, that are congruent with the mission of following Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. We got full disclosure, fully transparent on, on our budget. If you, have to, if you want to know more details, you can always reach out to the office. But, but now what I want to do— um, Besides reminding you what I'm supposed to remind everybody, and that's over 25% of the resources come into the local church in December every year. So this is a really critical time uh, of the year. So that being said, you're welcome, Russ, if you're listening in. Uh, uh, Let's go back to Galatians. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So Dan Allender is a a well-known counselor uh, who wrote... um, Two sentences that I think summarize every good parenting book that's ever been written. Uh, and it's in his parenting book called How Children Raise Parents. And he said this. He says, every child, and I think this can be this is true of adults as well, but he says, every child is always asking two questions. Do you love me? And can I do whatever I want? And uh, healthy parents are those who, uh, in their manner and in their words, communicate to the first question, absolutely yes, and to the second question, absolutely no. Um, It's often the case that that in in a two-parent home, there's a division of labor that happens, where one parent will assume the primary role of nurturer, to, to affirm that, yes, you're always loved, and, and the other will assume the primary role of disciplinarian to communicate, no, you can't always get what you want. Uh, and, and yet, if the couple is healthy, um, you're also going to minor in what you don't major in. In other words, a disciplinarian, if, if, if you're just disciplinarians, it, it, it cultivates a harsh, unsympathetic, exasperating environment for the kids. If you're just... Discipline, or if you're just nurturers, it cultivates an environment of entitlement, uh, the spoiled child, uh, the child who you know ends up being a man-child because they never learn to grow up and take responsibility. But when you have both nurture and discipline together, the kids get the right answers to both questions, and at least humanly speaking, it sets them up for to be healthier human beings themselves. And so, what we've got in this text is a description of division of labor. And Paul's especially talking about mission. He's, he's, he's talking about the church because he's talking to a church and how a church is supposed to be, so we'll, we'll navigate a little bit of that. But, but he's especially talking about how Christians collaborate, how the people of Jesus collaborate out in the world to, to bring this lovely message of the gospel to all people groups, which is what Jesus charged us to do. And so to, to unpack that, I want to um, talk under three headings that, that we see from Paul here. One is that there's a fixed truth, and then the second is that there are flexible methods, and then finally a shared mission that, that, that all uh, sort of mission-oriented followers of Christ are meant to share. And so we'll start with a fixed truth. So I, I'm not sure exactly how Russ has described this fixed message that that, that Paul is trying to to really drill into the hearts and and minds of of the church at Galatia. The way we're talking about it at Old Hickory is that that in order to belong, this is is sort of the summary of Galatians and really the, the summary of the Bible. In order to belong to God and to God's family, to belong, you have to have two things. You have to have Jesus Christ and you have to have nothing else. That's how you belong. As soon as you add anything to Jesus Christ, you subtract from Him. In fact, if you add to Him, you actually subtract Him, uh, which means you subtract yourself from the family of God. You have to have Jesus Christ and nothing else in order to belong with God and in order to call yourself a daughter or a son of God. So the... Um, the implication here of that is that, that every single person is a charity case. Everyone's a charity case. Um, we love God, and the Bible tells us this, we love God and, and, and we all, the love that we have for people. It comes from a love that God has given to us first. It says we love because God first loved us, because God set his affection on us when we weren't affection ready and when we weren't affection worthy. That's when God set his affection on us. The way Spurgeon put it was this, that that God loves to forgive you more than you love to sin. God loves to forgive more than we love to have independence from him. Paul is actually exhibit A In this regard, so in the ninth chapter of Acts, we get um, sort of the story of how Paul became a follower of Christ, and how Paul got the you know "you need Jesus Christ and nothing else" message, and how those realities came home to him. He was at the time his Saul of Tarsus. He was an ascending rabbi, sort of a celebrity rabbi, um, kind of the Tim Keller of Judaism, if you know who Tim Keller is, or like like the Bono of Judaism. If, if, if you don't know who Tim Keller is, surely you know who Bono is. Um, so, so he's on a genocidal crusade. He's on a murder mission, and he thinks he's doing the work of God, and his target is people who have identified with Jesus Christ. And he's on a particular road on, you know, to, to, to Damascus where they're there are more targets. There are more people uh, who have now become genocide targets for Saul of Tarsus and the people who are traveling with him. And it says in the ninth chapter of Acts that Jesus Christ strikes him blind and then talks to him. And he says, this is the risen Christ. Christ, after he's come up from the dead, he says, why are you persecuting me? And that, 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 that word me instead of my people, I mean, doesn't that bring some comfort that he he so identifies with our suffering he so identifies with the betrayals that we experience that 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 he takes it that personally that if you're doing it to my kids you're doing it to me he says why are you persecuting me and then you know he becomes convinced who wouldn't become convinced if the risen christ appears to you and starts talking to you like this but then jesus sends a message to uh, a follower of christ or a christian name ananias and he says there's this man Saul of tarsus we're gonna call him paul from now on um i'm gonna send him to you i want you to welcome him i want you to show him some hospitality you know i want i want you to get him started on what it means i want you to help get him started on what it means to live out the message all we need is jesus christ and nothing else He's not only going to be called to live that message, he's going to be an ambassador for that message. And, and Ananias responds to God and he says, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And maybe Ananias had in mind what had happened in Acts chapter 7 where, where Stephen, who goes down as the history's first recorded Christian martyr, is, is, uh, you know, has, basically has rocks thrown at his head until he dies by religious people, and it says that Saul of Tarsus was the one there presiding over the whole thing. And so Ananias, it's like, not only is this guy violent, he's publicly violent, he's dangerous. We've been hiding from him. you got refugees out there running from this guy. And Jesus says, nope, go. For he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And So this word chosen, um, you've got to think, don't you, that that there's all kinds of stuff going on in Paul when he hears, after all this, after you've persecuted me, after you've injured my kids, my wife. You come after my wife, I'm going to sock you in the nose. Truly. He says, he's my chosen now. If you're Paul, what what are you going to think about that? what are you going to think about that? We, we, can, we can only tell by the effect that, 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 that this has on Paul. Paul, you, you get a sense really quickly when you read his letters that, that he, he does not understand himself as God's choice person, but as God's chosen person. Because we none of us are God's choice people. We're we not in Christ because we did something special, or we, we, you know, were a bit more virtuous than the typical humans. He's chosen for reasons of his own that we may never understand. Even Paul is chosen. And, and, and this affects Paul's you know, Paul used to kind of boast about being celebrity rabbi, but now he is put in a position where, where he's the guy looking up to the celebrity apostles, right? You've got Peter, James, and John, the, the inner three, Jesus's three you know, closest friends. And here's how he talks about them. Those who seemed influential. Seemed. No, they were influential, but he says, those who seemed influential. And I don't think he's, sli- he's not slighting them. He's not diminishing the role that God had given them. He's not stealing honor from them that's due to them. But he's saying, look, this is what Patty Sauls, my wife, says whenever I'm celebrity struck on Broadway in Nashville. Everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. And the way that Paul says that is God shows no partiality. No person is more or less special than the other and, and one, of the, one of the other things that this leads Paul to do that, that we have no evidence that he'd been engaged with before was he was careful to remember the poor. He got involved with underdogs and people on the margins. I'll get to that in a minute. But it humbles him out of his pride, but it also lifts him out of the shame that, that, that surely the average person is going to carry into that situation, having done the things that he'd done, right? It, it's like, it's like the, the person on death row who's, who's come to the realization, you know, the serial killer on death row has come to the realization of, of how, how much injury he has caused. And, 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 and he faces those, you know, who are bereaved because of the people that he, whose lives he took in such a brutal, merciless way. You think about how that, that awakened death row prisoner is going to feel. You, you'd imagine that maybe Paul might be tempted in that direction. But instead, he, he has this confidence that I belong here. That whatever these people are, I belong here. Not because I'm special, not because I'm choice, but because I'm chosen. Because Jesus has said so. It lifts him out of his shame while also humbling out him out of his pride. So, um, okay, so Richie, I got secondhand. It's so fun to minister with you today. I got secondhand information that you use the story either here or somewhere else about uh, being the mercy pick on the, on the school playground. Was it here? Oh, okay, I was going to keep it short if it was here. I'll just pretend it was somewhere else and make it long. So <laughs> the mercy pick, right? You, you know what that is, right? Back in grade school when it was, you know, you're on a playground and you're about to play kickball or flag football or something like that. And, and, you know, team captains are chose, chosen It's usually the two best athletes and, and they start picking people, right? You know, pick number one is, you know, the, the next best athlete and so on. And, and, and kids like Mark Box, kid that I went to sixth grade with are just standing there like, oh, just feeling lonelier than, than most of us have ever felt because they're always the person who's picked last. They're always the person that the rest of the team begrudges that we have to have this person sort of slowing us down in, in kickball. They always get out. They, they never catch the ball even when it's Hit right to them they're, they're either dead weight or they're hurting us Scott Wagner the best athlete in the class his first pick was Mark Boggs one day and that completely changed the way Mark Boggs saw himself you know it just you could see it in his body language wait what this is like the loneliest most neglected and bullied kid in the whole class and the most popular, most athletic kid in the class picked him first. And all of a sudden, it's not just Scott Wegner, it's the rest of the class. That everything, every time Mark does something mediocre, it's like he's, you know, hitting a buzzer shot fade away to win the NBA championship. The point being this: he was not choice, but he was chosen. And in being chosen, he belonged. He lost his loner status because of the mercy of the greatest guy in the class. We are, here's what Paul is after. You have to recognize that you are Mark Boggs. You are Mark Boggs. You are not Scott Wegner. You're not. I'll put it this way I, I know atheists. I've been a Christian over 30 years and a pastor over 25. I I know atheists who are better human beings than I am. I do. Gandhi was 20 times better human being than I'll ever be. I know atheists who are more kind, more generous, more other-centered, less self-conscious than I am. And, and, And this takes me to what Paul says in verse 9 that that's okay to be aware of that and and not cover it up. It's okay to acknowledge it, not only acknowledge it, but to embrace it and even celebrate what God can do through anyone. Paul says grace was given. It wasn't sold to me. It wasn't awarded to me. Grace was given to me. And this word grace, just to help us understand the true meaning of the word, It's from the Greek word charis. We get our word charity from that word. Charity was given to me. I'm a charity case. Now, this is the hurdle that the fixed truth of Christianity presents. This is the hurdle. If you have any success in your life, if you've been the team captain, if you've made it in your career, if you've got... A happy home life. If there's something that you're looking to, saying, mm, "I've made it. I'm choice. I don't have to be chosen because I'm choice." Because look at look at what's happening in my life. It's very, very hard for you to fathom yourself as a charity case. That is why. It's the poor, the weak, the prostitutes, the, 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 the johns, the, 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 the people who are morally bankrupt, the crooks like Zacchaeus, they respond to all you need is Christ and nothing else like that. Like that. And, it, it, and it's why rich people are so bored with church. Middle class in spirit. Not poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit, not the wealthy in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you're the underdog, when you've messed up, when you're in pain, there's this sort of built-in readiness. Anyone can belong. That's the other you know, sort of outcome of this fixed truth. This guy Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. You know, Before Paul has his meeting with the big three, Barnabas says, I'll go with you. Let's go together. Barnabas is hes kind of like the human version of the Holy Spirit. He's the, he's the alongside one. He's the paraclete, the comforter, the encourager, the counselor, the one who gives you a nudge. Come on, keep going. I'm with you. Everyone needs friends like that. Paul had a friend like that. There's no distance that, that Barnabas creates. He doesn't put him on probation You know, as soon as you, you know, clean this and this and this up, you know, then we can really be friends. No, there's no probationary anything with with Barnabas. Just come on, I'm with you. And then they show up, verse 9, and it says that Peter, James, and John, the, the, the big three, perceived the grace given to me. They were happy that God was kind to somebody who bullied their people. They were happy about that. And Complete opposite of Jonah, who was resentful that God wanted to send grace to the Ninevites through him. These guys are are saying, no, we're we're actually very, very happy that the former bully is now among us. The church of Jesus Christ has no walls, no hurdles, no history that is allowed to block a certain kind of person from ever-belonging. There's hope for anyone. Because anyone can possess Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so if you're carrying shame, if you feel like Mark Boggs you know, at age 52, if you feel like you're on the playground, last one picked, what if, what if the church was to say to you, we pick you? We pick you. Because Jesus picks you. This is, here's a place where you can belong. Here's a place where you can be cheered on and celebrated. It doesn't matter what your employment status is, your marital status, it doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. Because Jesus' first picks include the poor widow, Mary Magdalene, who was plagued by demons for many years, Rahab, who was a prostitute, Peter, who had problems with impulse control and cowardice and xenophobia. James, Jesus' own half-brother who never came around to believing in him even though he grew up with him until the resurrection. Saul of Tarsus. First picks. Not because they're choice people but because they're chosen people. So that's the fixed truth. That's, that's the longest part of, of this message. What does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> flexible methods. Flexible methods. Who the audience is and what their love language is and who their perceived credible voices are is the language that you speak. You've got this fixed message that can come dressed in red, white, green yellow, paisley. It can come dressed in anything as a fixed message. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I, to the Greeks I become as a Greek, to the Jews I become as a Jew. I become all things to all people that I might possibly save some. You know, Paul's method in mission is to learn the love languages of whatever people group it is that he's going into, and then to translate the fixed gospel message, all you need is Jesus and nothing else to belong, into that language with dignity, with respect, with honor. So when our daughters were young, thinking of my oldest daughter especially, my wife Patty bought this, 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 this board game uh, called Angelina Ballerina. And as, as one who grew up in a house with all boys and one woman, and now I'm the only guy in a house full of all girls, I got to learn games like Angelina Ballerina. And so when our daughters were young, to connect with them, I had to learn to do the plie. And I I had to learn first, second, third, fourth, fifth position, which I mastered. (laughs) Because I want connection point with my daughter's love language. Why do we think that when people get older, that need goes away to be spoken with that kind of dignity and respect and honor? What, what makes that principle go away for us in the way that we treat people when they get older? You know, in expecting other people to be flexible, we become more rigid. It's actually supposed to go the other way around. When Paul is with the Gentiles, there's a great picture of it in Acts chapter 17. He's in Richie Sessions' world, the Greek intellectuals, the university culture. And and he's talking to secularists, very intelligent secularists. And what does he do? He quotes zero Bible. And, and, And instead, he quotes secular poets and secular philosophers to take them to the fixed truth. That all you need is Jesus and nothing else. Why would he do that? is that compromise or is that faithfulness? And when Paul Lim, you know, quotes a lyric from 21 Pilots, you know what he's doing there? He's trying to reach your kids. He's trying to reach students. He's mastered the language of students. And so he'll quote 21 Pilots just as he'll quote the Apostle Paul in a sermon, and it's just as faithful for him to quote 21 Pilots as it is the Apostle Paul. And it actually may be more faithful in certain contexts for him to start there. Why does Stacy Croft quote the New York Times all the time? Because he's in the university culture. Why does Russ Ramsey, you know, spend 10 minutes of his sermon explaining a Van Gogh painting to you? Because he, he has a special sense of calling toward artistically oriented people. And he's learned that love language. And he loves to speak it. I'll draw on the likes of Nietzsche, Stephen Hawking, David Foster Wallace, Hannah Arndt, Gandhi, Jason Isbell. None of them are Christians. None of them. None of them. But, but just as Christians can say some really dumb things and do some really dumb things, people who aren't Christian can do some really brilliant things and say some really brilliant things. Why? Because no Christian is perfect, and, and, and no non-Christian is completely wrong. See, they're, they're, this is what Paul was getting after in, in Acts chapter 17. There are intersecting points between the truth and any truth and beauty that's found in, in a philosophical system or a worldview that's out there. And, and, and what Paul's doing is he's nabbing those nuggets of truth and beauty from the, specifically the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, And he's saying, as we both agree, and then he quotes their poets, and then he takes it to Jesus. Jesus agrees too. Jesus actually embodies this. Jesus is actually the fulfillment of what your own poets and philosophers are saying. See? All truth is God's truth. Bridge building, you could call it. Okay, so, but when he's with the Jews in Acts 17, he quotes no secular poets or philosophers. He quotes only Bible. Why? Because that's their love language. They've been steeped in Old Testament all of their lives. And, and, and so he's, he's trying to show them this Old Testament, the fulfillment is this one that you need to have and nothing else in order to belong. And he's got this incredible social EQ because here in Galatians he says, you know, the, the young man Titus, the Greek man who's traveling with me, no way he's getting circumcised. But then... In Acts chapter 16, another young Greek man, Timothy, is with him. You really need to get circumcised, buddy. Sorry, it's going to hurt. It's going to be kind of messy, but it's for the cause. Can you do it? It's for the people. It's for the Jews that we're about to... What is this? Is Paul talking about out of both sides of his mouth? Is he being inconsistent? No. Here in, in Galatians, he is confronting religious tyranny. In Acts, he's building missional bridges. Very different reasons. See, no culture is so unique and so special, even Jewish culture, that it's allowed to be elevated to the place of divinely ordained, higher spirituality, superior. No culture is allowed to be, you can certainly live and embody your culture, absolutely. If, you, if you're a Jew, be the best darn Jew you can be with all your heart. Keep doing those Seder meals, you know, keep wearing these garments, you know, keep, continue keeping these holidays. Be the best Jew you can be, but don't you dare impose your culture on people who've come to understand that all you need is Jesus Christ and nothing else. So I was talking to Kevin Twitt, he's a musician, really into hymns and the church and everything, part of our Christ Press community, and he was was relaying a conversation that he had some time in the past. Uh, He was having a conversation with with a man of a certain race, and and he was making an observation to this man of a certain race, and he said, I understand that there are people of of, of another race that are starting to you know, make their way in and around your church community. You're going to change your music. You're going to, you know, mix things up. You're going to do that. And, and, and the man said, this is, man was a pastor, he says, no, what we're going to do is elevate their taste. And, and to Jesus, that's nauseating. To Jesus, that's gross. To say that one culture is, whether it's, you know, Elizabethan, Um, music, you know, ancient Elizabethan music culture or, you know, African culture or Korean culture is superior. Um, That's when you have moved away from bridge building to, to promoting religious tyranny, to impose anything in addition to Jesus on somebody in order to say that they belong. So Paul's modeling maturity here by being less demanding, more flexible. That's everything I've just said in one sentence. Less demanding, more flexible. That's a sign of the gospel at work in us. Okay, finally, shared mission. It's the ministry of word and deed. You know, he says that you know, the, the big three, who they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, but, but we did agree on that. They added nothing to my message, they, and, and also they subtracted nothing from my message. They urged me also to take care to remember the poor, which was the very thing I was eager to do. One sign that Jesus runs the church is that the closer you get to the inside, the more blatantly obvious it becomes that people who have hit bottom, who are disabled, who experience life as an underdog, kind of the loner on the playground, life isn't working for them, They're carrying weakness and burdens, addicted, sexually damaged, regrets, haven't showered in who knows how long. That person, here's here's one of the ways that you know that Jesus runs the church. That person says, more than any other place and more than any other people than this, I feel home. I feel home. I feel that I belong. And Paul, he could be talking about two different kinds of poor. I think he was emphasizing especially the Macedonian type of poor person, the material, materially poor person. There's really no way to get away from this. You know, Jesus' inaugural speech about his kingdom in Luke 4, sort of his coming out speech, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Luke chapter four, he says to his followers, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. I'm sorry, Luke six. Matthew 11, the poor have the gospel preached to them, he says. Matthew 25, whatever you've done for the poor, you've done for me. Whatever you've neglected to do for the poor, you've neglected me. You can't get away from it. It's it's actually an acid test. It's not what makes you a follower of of Christ, but it is part of what reveals that you are one. Then there's also the Laodicean poor, And these are the people who live in opulence. Revelation chapter 3 talks about the Laodiceans. And their poverty is not in that they have too little, it's in that they have too much, and it's got them around the neck. And a little bit chillingly, Laodicea, a description of Laodicea sounds a lot like Nashville. It's a very innovative city. It was awash with wealth. It was the healthcare capital of the world. University culture. A natural disaster happened there. They had an earthquake that flattened the city in the same way that the floods flattened Nashville in, I think it was, 010. And they were able to rebuild themselves. They needed and wanted no federal aid. We've got this. And so Jesus says to them, your self-conception is that you're rich, prosperous, and that you need nothing. But I say you're lukewarm. You're nominal. You're naked. You're poor. You're wretched. You're blind, he says. It nauseates me, he says. But then he gives him an invitation. He says, hey, rich people who are so poor in your opulence, why don't you become a charity case? Why don't you become a chosen person instead of a choice person? A chosen community instead of a choice community. You'll be happier. You'll be able to exhale. You'll sleep better. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If, if anyone comes in to me, I will eat with them and they with me. You know, it, the, the gospel for the rich and the gospel for the poor is the gospel for every kind of charity case. All we need is, is Jesus Christ and nothing else. So I'll close with, I'll close with um, Toby Keith, a great prophet of our time. It's one of his songs called I Love This Bar, and I think it's a great description of maybe what a church ought to be. He says, we got winners, we got losers, chain smokers, and boozers. We got yuppies, we got bikers, we got thirsty hitchhikers, and the girls next door dress up like movie stars. I love this bar. We got cowboys, truckers, broken-hearted fools, and suckers, hustlers, and fighters, early birds, and all-nighters. The veterans talk about their battle scars. I love this bar. I've seen short skirts, got high techs, blue collar boys and rednecks. We got lovers, lots of lookers, and I've even seen dancing girls and hookers. It's my kind of place, no cover charge, come as you are. I love this bar. So if in a bar, why not in a church? We got a whole season coming up. I love what Jesus says in Luke 15. He says, I want my father's house full. And it's, it's my servant's job to go out and find those people to fill this house up. You know that people who don't identify as Christians, they're more open during the holiday season than any other season. Not just open, but, but desirous for an invitation. Just an invitation. And, and, and you know what Jesus says? Here's who I want you to emphasize in, in making my father's house full. The lame, the weak, the sick, the neglected, the overlooked. Mark Boggs. Who is your Mark Boggs? Who's the Mark Boggs in the places where you live, work, and play? Find that person and fill the Father's house with Mark Boggs, because we're all Mark Boggs. It's time to invite Richie up to service at the table. Grace and peace.